Exodus 14, verses 1 through 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahirath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Hahirath in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all the night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course 
when the morning appeared. As the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Hey everybody, uh, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so glad that you are here. Welcome those of you who are tuning in. Uh, listen, uh, a lot of you already know that uh, the, the elders have provided an opportunity for my wife Karen and myself to go on sabbatical this summer uh, for three months. And so this is my last uh, Sunday with you for a while. And I just want you to know, uh, three, I guess, three things. I was thinking threes. So uh, I want you to know that uh, I will miss you. Uh, I want you to know I will be praying for you. And I want you to know that uh, I'll be back. Uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. All right, thanks. I'm glad you clapped then and not when I said, I'm going away, you know. Uh, but I'm really uh, looking forward to the opportunity for some rest and restoration and refreshment, and then uh, I will be uh, anxious to come back. Uh, all right. We are in the middle, right smack dab in the middle of this 10-week series. We are calling one story, one hero. Uh, we've been looking at 10 stories in the Old Testament and how they all point to Jesus and the overarching story of the Bible. And uh, this story that we just had read, and I love that we have the scripture read to us like it is, but this story that we just heard read is a great story. It's a story about how God reached down and saved the Israelites. And I say it's a great and important story because so many people I talk to nowadays, when I begin to talk to them about God, they'll say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a spiritual person. Have you found that? Just a lot of people think that they are spiritual and they think that's what I'm talking about when I talk to them about God. And what I think they mean is they know that there's something bigger out there and they want to get in touch with God. And so they're trying the best they can. They're praying, they're meditating, they're getting, getting in touch with nature. But the problem is the Bible doesn't talk much about getting spiritual. The Bible talks about getting saved and that's different. Because what you have in this story is that the Israelites are backed up against the Red Sea and they are facing certain slaughter unless God does something and God intervenes and he creates a way that only he can make for them to escape and he saves them. That's what the Bible talks about. All right, so let me go ahead and just recap the story and then I'll get to my three points. At this time uh, in the story of the Bible, the Israelites have been uh, enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. That's a long time. In America, if we had been slaves for that long, that would mean that we have been slaves since 16, 
21. That's 400 years ago, 150 years before the Declaration of Independence, which, oh, by the way, 1621 is just a couple of years away from when the first slaves were brought to this country. But that's another story. But imagine if you were slaves for 400 years, that means that you, didn't, you wouldn't know anybody who wasn't a slave, and that's the way it was with the Israelites. Uh, they didn't know, I mean, their parents were slaves, their siblings were slaves, their aunts and uncles were slaves, their grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, they didn't know anyone who was not a slave. And then God hears their suffering, and he sends Moses with a message for Pharaoh. And the message is simply this, let the slaves go. They're my people. And of course, Pharaoh says no, because it's hard to let slaves go. And then God, using Moses, unleashes 10 plagues on Egypt, one after another. And they are devastating plagues, so much so that Pharaoh finally breaks. And he says, okay, you can go. And he, it's like the Emancipation Proclamation and all the slaves then head out of Egypt and they get as far as the Red Sea, which is the first kind of barrier they get to. And when they get there, then Pharaoh changes his mind and he tells his army, go after them. And that's where we pick up the story. And there's a lot of things in this story that encourage me. And one of the things is the... Uh, the irrational response of the Israelites. And I say that because the Israelites, when they see Pharaoh's army coming, they start to, to yell at Moses. And they say, did you bring us out here to die? I can't believe we're in this predicament. I can't believe you, you didn't just leave us in Egypt where we were happy, where everything was good. Why would you bring us out here? Like they're just panicking, right? And the, the reason that that's irrational is because they just watched the 10 plagues. Right? God had just taken the most powerful nation in the world and buckled their knees, and then Pharaoh's army is coming to It's almost like, you know, when you're watching a movie and there's an obvious hero and an obvious villain, and you've known that the whole movie, and it comes to the very end of the movie, and the, and the villain, the head villain, and the hero are squared off, and they're fighting, and, the, and the, the hero finally shows that he's like a martial arts expert or whatever. And he hits the villain a couple times and the villain's down and the villain like gets back up and comes at him one more time. And you watch the hero just do this like that. And you know, you know what's going to happen. I mean, it's the end of the movie. You know that just this, he's going to do this roundhouse kick or whatever. It's going to be great, right? If you watch 10 plagues, God do something one after another to get the most powerful nation on earth to let you go. And then you see these villains coming at you over the plains. The most reasonable thing to do would be to take out a lawn chair, right? Sit down and go, this is going to be epic. Wait, let's see what God's going to do, right? He didn't bring us out here for nothing, right? But that's not what they do. Now, the reason that's so encouraging to me is that I feel like it gives me hope because I'm like that sometimes, maybe you are too, where I know God loves me because of what he sent Jesus to do for me. I have seen God work in my life over and over again, but there are still times where something happens and I don't even think about God. All I do is look at what's happening and I get so discouraged or so hurt or so sad that I forget all about who God is and what he's done. 
And if you're here and that's you, maybe all you needed was to hear this introduction. In which case, it's just for you. But if you'll stick around, I have three more points, all right? Let me give you my points. The first point is I want, I want to talk about what it means to be a slave and why you need to be set free. What it means to be a slave and why you need to be set free. The second point is what it means to be free and why it's not what you think. What it means to be free and why it's not what you think. And then finally, what it means to be saved, who does what and when. What it means to be saved, who does what and when. Okay, first, what it means to be a slave and why you need to be set free. A slave is simply someone who is not free. All right, that seems pretty simple. But a slave is somebody who is in the control of someone or something else. That means that someone or something else can make them do things they don't want to do. The easiest way to become a slave is to come into contact with somebody who has what you want or what you feel like you need. And if that's the case, the, the person who is a slave master doesn't have to be particularly powerful. They don't have to be evil. They just have to have what you feel like you want or what you feel like you need at any given time. I'll give you an example. My older brother Brian has four sons, and they're all two years apart. And when he had his, his first son, Jordan, was about three years old, he had a second son named Jesse who was one year old. And they slept in the same room. And uh, there came the night when uh, my brother and his wife decided that they weren't going to give Jordan uh, any more apple juice at night because it was messing with his teeth. <laughs> so they, would, uh, they were going to tell Jordan, you know, no more apple juice. And this was the night. And Jesse was already asleep. And my brother went in, put Jordan to bed, and then uh, said, good night. And Jordan said, Dad, I want some apple juice. And my brother said, well, Jordan, no apple juice water. And Jordan began to cry. And my brother said, shh, shh, you'll wake your brother up. Right? Don't ever show your kids your soft underbelly like that, right? So he showed his vulnerability. This kid's three years old, and he realizes, I got dead. So he starts to cry more. I want apple juice. I want apple juice. He goes, shh, shh. And Brian goes, okay. One more time, last time. He starts to turn away. And Jordan three years old, goes this, shh, dad, and a graham cracker. <laughs> and my brother goes, okay, and a graham cracker. Turns around, it's a true story. This is a true story. Jordan goes, dad, two chocolate chips. <laughs> my brother, a grown man, brought a three-year-old, apple juice he didn't want to give him, plus a graham cracker, plus two chocolate chips. Why? Jordan had something he, my brother desperately wanted, which was peace. I don't know, sleep. <laughs> Whoever has what you feel like you need, what you desperately want, can make you a slave. That's true. Bob Dylan, the famous songwriter, poet of the 60s and 70s, wrote a song, uh, and it was on his album, Slow Train Coming. It's called You Gotta Serve Somebody. 
This is what he says. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. I used this illustration a couple weeks ago. Uh, the wheel is my favorite illustration of how the human heart works, right? And in every human heart, there are all kinds of interests, all kinds of values that you have. But in the middle of your heart is something that is the most important thing. Whatever's in the middle of your heart has what you feel like you really need, right? And the kicker is that it doesn't have to be something bad. It could be. It could be alcohol or opiate, and it's an easy thing to see someone become a slave to that but it could be your children, your marriage, success, the approval of others, your health, working out. It could be anything that works its way. But once it gets in here, it's only a matter of time before you become a slave. And the reason that it happens, and it's so sneaky, is this, that um, for a while, whatever you have in there will probably be giving you what you feel like you really want. It'll work for a while, right? That's what happens in the story. That's what the Israelites are trying to tell Moses. Moses, don't you realize that back in Egypt, we had what we needed. We had food, we had water. And now in the desert, we don't have what we really need. What they were saying, it it was working, it was working, but they were slaves. And that means that it'll work for a time. Whatever you have in the middle of your heart will work for a time. And the only way you'll know you're a slave is when the master becomes capricious and begins to demand something that you didn't see coming. When the master says, and two chocolate chips. You may think, I would never cheat a customer. I would never be dishonest until your boss comes in and says, listen, you do it like this or you're fired. And you think, I have bills to pay. My oldest just started college. What am I supposed to do? I have no choice. That phrase, when you say, I have no choice, is a sentence a slave says. You have a, a young woman who wants to save herself for marriage until her boyfriend says, sleep with me or we're done. Sometimes you don't know that you have a slave master until the armies of Pharaoh are coming after you. I was thinking of of like Hollywood stars, particularly women, and why they get plastic surgery so much and why you all have seen pictures of Hollywood stars where you're going, why would they do that? They look so unnatural. You know why they did it. Because their whole lives, their value had been their beauty and it had worked for them until they got up one morning and looked in the mirror and saw the inevitable march of age and they felt the armies of Pharaoh coming for them. The man who gets a pink slip and falls into a deep depression, he never saw coming. It's the armies of Pharaoh coming for him. For a a parent who sends their last child off to college and then doesn't know what to do. It's the armies 
Pharaoh, when you stand around a grave that you never expected to stand around and you feel that emptiness and loss that is so, so deep, it's the armies of Pharaoh coming for you. So becoming a slave is much easier and much more common than most of us think. Right? Because Bob Dylan is right, you got to serve somebody. That's my first point, what it means to be a slave and why you need to be set free. My second point, though, is this, what it means to be free and why it's not what you think. What it means to be free and why it's not what you think. The Israelites right here in the story are in a really interesting spot. They're out of Egypt, but they're not to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the place where God will reveal the Ten Commandments. He'll, he'll talk to them about what it means for him to be in the center of their hearts and their lives, right? But they haven't gotten there yet, but they've left Pharaoh and their slave masters. So in a way, they are completely free. It's, it's actually the way a lot of people think of freedom, that they have no limits, no boundaries. That is the way that our country, a lot of people in our country think of freedom. They, they think, I can do whatever I want. I can be whatever I want. Whatever I am in my head is what I am to everybody else, right? This is, I can create my own reality. But there is no real freedom without limits, without boundaries that doesn't exist. I remember reading uh, in psychology when I was in college, there was a short-lived kind of experiment uh, that they did in playgrounds where they removed fences in playgrounds because they wanted the kids to experience freedom. What they found was the kids would huddle right in the middle of the playground because they didn't know how far they could go because there is no real freedom without limits. And this is how I really know. These are goldfish. And they are, uh, I feel bad for them because they are here in the, this little tiny bowl, so they're not free. So I'm going to set one of them free. Just a minute. These are, um, don't worry, oh, don't worry about it because these are like stunt goldfish. They, um, they really like this. They love the attention. All right, there we go. All right. So, <laughs> I know some of you hate this, but the good news is I won't get your emails for three months. Right? <laughs> I'll put them back. All right. Come on, buddy. He's still okay. Right. I tell you that. You know, you know, right? If a fish is only free when they're in the environment for which they were created. There is no freedom for a fish that is limitless, that is without boundaries. That's true of everything, everyone. So the question you need to ask is what is the environment for which you were created? What is the environment for which a human being was created? And a human being was created to have God right here in the center. That's what the Bible says. That's what you know. Deep down, anything else will make you its slave. Jesus says some really interesting things in the Gospels. They seem at loggerheads. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, uh, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke is a is a, a thing you put on two animals that yokes them together so they can work. It seems like the opposite 
of rest. But Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I have come to return, to make a way possible for you to return to the environment for which you were created, to return you to God himself. But first, you have to be saved from that which enslaves you. You have to be saved from that which enslaves you. And that brings me to my third point. What it means to be saved, who does what and when? What it means to be saved and who does what and when? Uh, the act of saving someone is always a decisive action. It's always uh, like uh, my son-in-law, Will, was uh, just last week was on an AAU basketball trip with his sons. And uh, there was a, one, a player that went into the pool, didn't know how to swim, where Will jumped into the pool in his clothes and pulled him out. That's a decisive action. That's what saving is all about. Somebody's diving into a pool, somebody running into a building, throwing somebody over their shoulders, somebody doing something, right? That's why it's different than being spiritual. In this situation that we just read about, the Israelites are backed up against the Red Sea. The, the soldiers are coming. They know they're going to die. They have a, they're under a sentence of death. They were, as soon as Pharaoh turned to his army and said, go. When Pharaoh did that, he was condemning all the Israelites, and they knew that. And they would have been slaughtered had it not been for God. And what God did was create a way that only he could to rescue them, to save them, by parting the Red Sea, and they went through that. Now, as long as they were on one side of the sea, they were under a sentence of death. But once they crossed over to the other side of the sea, there was nothing that Pharaoh could do. And they had passed from death to life. When you read Jesus in the Gospels, what you hear Jesus saying all the time is, this is why I've come. This is what he says in the Gospel of John in chapter 5. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus will say that, listen, you are under a sentence of condemnation, but there can come a time, a moment, when you are no longer condemned, where you are no longer under condemnation, which is why Paul the Apostle writes in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What Jesus is saying is this. Listen, there is a time when you are under condemnation when somebody is coming for you where you have to give an account for every single thing you have done, all your failures, all your sins, all your mistakes, it's coming, judgment is coming. But I have provided a way for you to escape that judgment. I will take it for you so that I will make a path for you so you can go free. All you have to do is believe in me. Right? That's, so God's part is that, to provide a way for you to get back into the environment for which you were created. What's your part? Well, in the story that we had read, God opens up this path, dry land. You know, there's two walls of water on each side. There's dry land right in the middle. They still have to go across the dry land. They have to believe that God is providing for them. 
And you say, well, that, that must have taken a lot of faith. Well, some of them probably had a lot of faith. Some probably saw that, started running through, dancing, you know, dragging their hands through the walls of water, just going, this is awesome, right? There were other people that were probably walking across going, I know I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. Both of them get to the other side. Both of them are equally saved. It's not the amount of faith you have. It's that you just believe that God is the only one who can provide for you, and he's provided that way through Jesus. So if you are here and you are not yet a Christian, and you are feeling that you have been drawn here because you are a spiritual person, you're exactly in the right place. But you need more than just being spiritual. You need to get saved. And the way you are saved is that Jesus has provided a way for you. He lived in your place, died in your place, and resurrected so that you could be set free. So you could move from death to life, from slavery to freedom. But if you're here and you are a Christian, and you're like me, there are going to be times when you forget which side of the sea you're on. And you'll feel some of the, the old, what were the old values, what, was, what would slide into your hub from time to time, and the army is coming for you. Whether it's the approval of others, whether it's success or your kids or whatever it is, and you will feel like you are overwhelmed, like you are so sad or so hurt or whatever. And what you're doing is you're forgetting that you're not on that side of the sea anymore. That there is nothing that they can do to you because your life, according to Scripture, is hidden in Christ and you have already passed from death to life, from slavery to freedom, from condemnation to no longer being under condemnation. So great is Jesus. One story one hero. Jesus comes for you to save you and to set you free. Let's trust him together. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I come to you and I'm so, so grateful. Uh, I know there are times when uh, I feel like my values are all messed up and, and I feel like Pharaoh's army is coming for me and I forget which side of the sea I'm on. If there are other people like me here, I pray that you would remind them even today, even right now, that you have come to set us free and to give us life. I pray for anybody who uh, is here and has not yet trusted you. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in such a way that they will trust you completely and through trusting you will pass from death to life. Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.